The Courage to Lead, episode 194. You're listening to the IB4E Coaching Podcast. Brought to you by IB4E Coaching, business coaching for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business professionals. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com. Hey, Coach Arlen here. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you guys are having a phenomenal week. I'm having a great week, and I'm excited to introduce you to my guest today. Please help me welcome Andrew Hayes. Andrew Hayes is the principal of Hayes Firm, LLC, a small estate and business law firm in the Chicago Loop that concentrates his practice in the areas of state and trust administration and estate and trust litigation. Andy's experience allows him to provide advice aimed at protecting clients from liability and keeping them out of the courtroom. However, if a dispute does arise, Andy will provide experience high-quality representation throughout the litigation process. Andy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Harlan. Good to be here. Yeah, it's good to have Thank you here. Thank you for the kind, the kind introduction. I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> no worries. I'm a professional. That's what I do. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, so Loyola University in Chicago? Correct. That's where I went to undergrad. And um, then, moved up from Kansas, where I grew up, and then went to undergrad there. Nice. And then your law degree at uh, Illinois Institute of Technology. Right. Yeah. Chicago, Kent. Um, they're affiliated with IIT. Nice. IIT is um, down by Sox Park on the south side, but the law school is downtown here. Nice. Very cool. All right. We're going to come back and talk about how you got your start, how you got into this area of law, kind of what you do, how you help people. But before we get started, I've got 10 questions that I ask every one of my guests. Uh, listeners know these are the questions made famous on the TV show Inside the Actors Studio, where host James Lipton asks these same questions of his guests from Hollywood TV, film, and stage. And I figure if they're good enough for the Hollywood elite, they're certainly good enough for my guests. So Andy, if you're ready, 10 questions for you, sir. Question number one, what is your favorite word? This is, I should have, I should have cheated. I don't know. Um, I should have studied up and prepared something. Um, favorite word. Um, robust. That comes to mind. That's a good word. That is very descriptive word. and kind of has a nice sound to it, but has a good meaning too. Yeah, absolutely. Very good. All right. What is your least favorite word? I mean, I think a word maybe like, soggy i mean that's not a that's just a terrible word it sounds bad and it means bad things that's right <laughs> all right what turns you on um probably i could i would say feeling optimistic you know having an optimistic kind of view on something and when something I'm negative about something, then it shifts into being. I see. I see how to see it positively. That's that gets me fired up. Excellent. Very good. All right. What turns you off? Um, people that complain and most specifically spend their energies trying to allocate blame to others okay. rather than deal with their life or other exactly. situations. Exactly. All right. What sound or noise do you love? Sound or noise? Yeah. Electric guitar. Nice. What sound or noise do you hate? 
I mean, I would say like, I mean, I remember when I was younger and I, my children were very small and I had, um, you know, they, their cries, it just goes right through you, you know, it's designed, it's like, that's their survival instinct, right? So I was thinking about that. I guess this isn't really, this is kind of in line with the answer, but I guess I don't hate it. It, It's the sound of a crying baby on airplanes, like everybody's pulling their hair out. And this lady was telling me, she goes, I'm so sorry. She was sitting right next to me. I said, listen, you're sitting next to the best guy that you could possibly sit next to. I don't care. I do not hear it, you know? So I guess that's a sound that's kind of, some people find extremely irritating, but I don't hate it because it's not my child any longer. So I don't think that was the answer to the question, but we can move on. Good. Yeah, that's but it's good. breaking the ice, right? So that's that's doing something. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Question seven. What is your favorite curse word? I would probably say fuck is probably the best word when used. It can be a verb, a noun, an adjective, and it um can be an icebreaker. And when used strategically and sparingly, it can help to get the point across. Overuse is, is obviously, you know, terrible, but um, sparing use of that word is, is um, effective. All right. Real quick, can we go back and just say the F word? Oh, yeah. Sorry. That's okay. The F word. Perfect. I will edit that in and everything will be just perfect. No worries. All right. Question eight. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? I know, I know a lot of attorneys, especially spend a lot of time thinking about that, but I, I really don't do that. Um, business owner, I, I can't really say what, I am a business owner. Um, I don't know. I would like to run a business of maybe, I, I, don't, I don't know what that would be. So that's, that's a bad answer, but definitely running another type of business, I think would be very interesting. Okay. What profession would you not like to do? I would not. I just really don't want to do any profession where I'd be working for someone else. I mean, that's not really a profession. There's tons of professions I wouldn't want to do. I mean, I wouldn't want to be a brain surgeon. I'd I'd kill everybody that I came across, you know? So there's there's tons of anything I'm not qualified for, I guess, and where someone is dictating what I would have to do. There you go. (laughs) <laughs> All right. Final question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Um, a nice job, I guess. I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, that's a tough one. That's, that's not an icebreaker. That's a little beyond. I'd have to think about that one. All right. No worries. Nice job is a good one. Good way to end. All right. Uh, Andy, we're going to come back talk about how you got your start, how you picked this area of love specifically, who you work with, how you help them. And then at some point, we're going to transition into courage and leadership. All right. Okay. All right. Listeners, we'll talk about all of that and more right after this. So stick with us. Imagine having a trusted group of CEOs at your disposal. Imagine having your very own peer advisory team who could work you through the problems and questions in your business before you had to make those difficult decisions. Imagine you had a group of advisors that had your back and met for the sole purpose of making you successful in your business. What would you be able to accomplish then? 
Well, you don't have to imagine any more. You can have that and more when you join my Business Success Mastermind Group. Join my Business Success Mastermind Group today. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. And I'm back with my guest, Andy Hayes. Andy, thanks again for taking time out of the day to be with us on the show. So at what point did you know growing up, at what point did you know you wanted to be a lawyer? I didn't get the idea that it would interest me until I was, I was engaged. Maybe I wasn't engaged yet, but it was, I was dating my wife and she was studying for the bar exam. So I must've been 24, 25 at that time. And kind of looking at what she was studying and talking with her a little bit about the schooling, it, it became very interesting to me. And I'd, I'd always wanted to own my own business. And I figured that a law degree would be a great, be a great uh, foundation for, you know, running a business. And it certainly, it was and is and would be for anyone who's, who's looking to do that. Very cool. And then um, how did you start with the estate law and trust law? Is that what you wanted to go into or did it just kind of happen? I, in school, I focused on, it's, it's all pretty general, but I focused on trial advocacy. So putting cases before a jury or a judge. And I got a job out of school at a small firm doing commercial litigation. And they had a lot of cases disputed probate matters. So after someone passes away, fighting over claims related to that estate or maybe challenging a will that might be the product of fraud, et cetera. So litigation within the probate world. And it just, it just appealed to me. And then when I, when I started out on my own, I wanted to just focus on that because that was the most interesting aspect to me. It kind of had, had the litigation aspect of being able to put on a case, the financial uh, aspect as far as the counting and trying to sort out where all the money went. And then it's, it's an endless web of human emotions and conflicts because you're, you're dealing with families. So it's, it's very fascinating and you can provide a lot of value to your clients because they come to you and in a very mixed up situation, exactly. very painful, painful situation most often. Yeah. That's a difficult time. Now I know a lot of lawyers don't like the litigation part of it. They don't like to go to court. Is that something you like? Definitely. Yeah. That's what we, that's predominantly what we do. Yeah. So we get a lot of our, our cases come from those attorneys that do not want to be in court. A lot of attorneys want to, draft wills and trusts because they they want to stay out of a courtroom uh, and they like the work of course but they they don't want any part of that and that is what we we like both of those parts so we do we do gravitate towards those cases for sure yeah and it's probably tough like you said dealing with the families because you're you're getting them at a bad time there could be some conflict within the family that's causing a lot of the litigation and stuff right C certainly yes i mean with a lot of cases i i kind of talk about it and think about it in a distorted way because only people only come to us in these type of litigation scenarios if they're part of the small percentage of families where everything is just blown up on them. Um, most of the clients by numbers, and we spend most, our, most of our time dealing with those types of cases, but uh, the, most of the cases and families we deal with, it's not necessarily that, but they, there is a lot of confusion, uncertainty, pain, because they're dealing with the loss of a loved one. 
and they have confusion. They don't know how, how to move forward. And so we help them sort it out. So even in the absence of any conflict, it's still very emotionally distressed situation. Sure. Yeah, I, I can only imagine. Um, and Chicago is a good area for this? Yeah, I mean, I, I like practicing law in a, in a huge city. Uh, you get to deal with a lot of very skilled attorneys and it does allow me for, well, maybe personally, I'd like to live in a smaller town some days. Uh, I think that practicing and working in a big city is definitely what I'm meant to be doing. It allows me to specialize on certain type because there's just so much work here, right? I mean, so we, we're able to do a very specific thing, a very niche practice area, which I certainly could not do that if I was one of three or four lawyers in a small town, you know, I would have to do DUIs, you know, family, divorce, adoption, you, you, you see those, you see it all painted on the, their uh, front doors, you know, right. Um, so yes, I, I do. I, I definitely think this is the place for me to be practicing. Yeah. Well, niching in any business is, is key, right? That's because you become a specialist instead of a right. generalist. Right. right. Like the old country doctor that does a little of everything, including veterinary practice. Right? They do right. it all. Um, if you can really focus in on that one key area and stuff, you become the, the specialist to go to. Yeah. I mean, a lot of attorneys are still doing that, you know, the, the, the generalist thing that you just mentioned. I mean, when you're starting out, you kind of don't have a choice. Um, but I made that decision pretty early on to focus on what I wanted to be doing, even if it meant turning some cases away. I mean, now we turn cases away all the time and we have a good network of colleagues that we can refer things to. So people get, they end up with a quality attorney. Nice. But yeah, we, we turn things away all the time because we're not, I'm not interested. It's enough to keep up with the area of law that we focus on. And I don't need to be learning new areas of law where a friend of mine down the street doesn't even need to, you know, it's all right at the top of top of their head, tip of their tongue, the answer. So I'll send, I'll send somebody down there. So do the laws and regulations change quite a bit? Yeah. You know, cases are always coming out and they, they interpret the statutes. So that's, it's a constant, the law is constantly in flux or constantly changing. So in every, in every area of law. Sure. Absolutely. So when you're working with clients, um, You, you help with the estate planning too, not just the determination. Yeah, so so we have a client, it kind of is, I mean, we, we can and do do both, but a client will generally come to us for an estate plan and then we will handle that. Or they will come to us with one of the situations we've been talking about. Someone passed away and they need something and they need the estate administered or maybe there's a, someone's disabled and they need a guardianship estate established. So it kind of, you kind of have these three areas, let's say. Um, but a lot of times they do bleed over to one another. So if we, if we do an estate, we administer the estate, everything's settled, we distribute out the assets, then we will do an estate plan maybe for some of those beneficiaries because they saw what a mess it was when an estate when there was no estate plan or maybe the estate plan that their parent had was old and outdated and drafted poorly. So yes, we do, there, we do do multiple things for, for 
some of these folks, not all of them. So. Yeah, I know my mom wanted to have her will updated years ago yeah. and wrote a letter. She was bedridden. She wrote a letter, sent it over to her lawyer. The lawyer did nothing with it. He sat on it because he needed it notarized. Well, instead of coming to her bedside and getting it notarized, right. you just let it sit there. And then when she died, everything went into probate. And it know, didn't, it, yeah. Didn't pass it, anyway, so yeah. Right. Yeah, there's a lot of that. I mean, you people kind of think they're trying to save a couple bucks. I know that's not your situation you just described, but I mean, sometimes people will, ah, they're not going to get around to it, or they'll just write something down and not really formalize it. And then once you're gone, there's no way to, there's no way for you to say what you wanted. And, and the law requires that certain formalities be, be followed. So yeah, we deal with that a lot, those types of situations. A lot of litigation comes from that type of situation or the type of situation where someone changes their will in the hospital before a week or so before they pass those type of things. I mean, we've seen a lot of different stuff that is um, pretty shocking. Yeah, these situations can bring out the worst in the family at that time. Um, yes. How do you stay out of that melee <laughs> when it happens? Do do each member of the family, do they get their own uh, representative, I guess, or how does that work? <clears throat> um, yeah, so if you represent the estate, you would represent let's say the executor, the administrator, whoever the court points is the one that's supposed to gather the assets and then pay all the debts and then distribute everything out. Now, um, if one of the heirs wants to challenge what you're doing or they think the will was a product of fraud because mom didn't have the necessary mental capabilities to sign the will at that time, then yes, they would get their own attorney and basically file a lawsuit in the probate estate. Um, yeah, there's there's definitely situations where there's several attorneys in these things. Maybe every heir has the one, maybe the administrator has an attorney for themselves in their individual capacity rather than in their capacity as the state representative. It gets pretty convoluted. There's a lot of overlap, so. And are these usually like big ongoing type cases or are they, handled i mean everybody knows you know dickens wrote bleak house right that this probate basically that went on for decades yeah it's not like that. anything like that okay no it's not good i mean they take a while but they don't take any longer than a typical lawsuit and a lot of times they're they're faster but typical lawsuits are not fast so yeah i say they don't take a long time and they don't take decades but they definitely take longer than anyone any lay person we're dealing with likes. Sure, absolutely. So Under, I understand that completely. So, oh yeah, yeah. You just want it over and done with, right? Um, right? So what is it that people don't really consider when they're putting their estate together? Is there some advice that you would give as far as what they should focus on or things they shouldn't overlook? I mean, I think that people should, so I mean, a lot of your clients or your listeners are business owners or consultants, right? Right. So I think a business owner or consultant needs to, number one, incorporate their business so that they have an LLC or corporation. Even if they're the only member of the LLC, it provides you um, a lot of protection during your life as far as uh, 
business debts being able to come after you. And when you pass, it's much easier to transfer something like that if it's owned by a business. All your bank accounts are in the business's name. So business owners need to do that. I think that people have a misconception that a trust is only for rich people who are attempting to avoid estate tax. The state tax exemption is very high. So it's really only the top, top tier of um, wealth in this country is affected by it. So, but a trust is very useful for a business owner because it can provide for, can name an individual to, that knows about your business to do this, you know, rather than your aunt or your son who maybe has no interest or knowledge about your business. Uh, you can provide for the administration of your business in the event that you're disabled. A will only helps after you pass. Um, there's, a whole, I, there's a whole host of reasons, but people should talk to their attorney about a trust and what the advantages would be for them. I mean, they're a little more expensive to set up, but long-term, much, much cheaper to administer. You know, granted that may be 15, 20, 30 years from now, but just conceptually, they're much cheaper in the long run. And then when you put these estate plans together, how often should they be reviewed and updated? We say about every five years or whenever there's a major life event, you know, divorce, you have another kid, you buy a home, things like that. So um, you make a bunch of money, you lose a bunch of money, all the, all those kind of major events, you should connect with your attorney to have them just talk it through. Because um, an estate plan isn't just a piece of paper, you know, it's, it's how your business is owned, how, you know, what account is owned by which trust or which individual. It, it's all these kind of moving parts where you need to be engaged on all of them if it's going to work. The main thing is don't wait until you think you need it. Right? Do not wait. Right away. Yeah. Do not wait. I mean, because a lot of times I was, it's this morning I was talking to a gentleman who was talking about his parents and they hadn't got, a, they were talking about getting around to it, but they have a very old plan, which I haven't looked at it yet. This is a new matter but there's some concern that it has some outdated provisions which actually are worse than having no provisions because mm -hmm. they're going to follow what this guy was thinking about 15 years ago or 20 years ago right um and now he can't change it because he has dementia so the law won't allow you to amend your estate plan in that situation wow Yeah, and people, they just don't think. They think, oh, there's plenty of time. I'll get to it. I'll get to it. Well, no one wants to think. I mean, I was thinking when that we were going to have a big boom when, you know, 2020, in the spring of 2020, when that's all everyone was talking about was death. And there's basically a ticker on everybody's TV screen about deaths. And every, that's everyone's thinking about that, you know, for good reason. There was a lot of uncertainty. But I thought there would be a big flood of people trying to, you know, get it together. But I, I personally, we did not see a huge uptick. So I'm sure other firms, maybe if they were more actively marketing the estate planning side of their firms, maybe they did. But I mean, I would think that there would be no one left without an estate plan after sitting in their house for six to six months to two years or however long it is, you know, and thinking about their 
mortality for at least some portion of that time, but exactly, there's still a lot of folks who don't have it. Yeah. So uh, courage, let's talk about courage. Now, a lot of people, uh, they like working for someone else, right? They like that comfort zone, the safety net of working a nine to five for somebody else, make the decisions for them and everything like that. You decided not to, you wanted to open up your own, your own business. Where did that courage come from? Um, I don't know. Well, when I was growing up, my dad was a family practice doctor and he general practitioner and he owned, he had his own practice with a couple of other guys. So I kind of grew up as just seeing that that's, I mean, certainly possible because that's what my dad did. Right. So, and he would, he would, he was vocal about being your own boss is, I mean, that's, that's where you get financial freedom and, you know, actual freedom. So um, if you can do that, that's what you should do. So <clears throat> I had that as my background. And then, you know, I, my first job, it, it wasn't working out. And I started looking for other jobs and I kind of looked around and saw that these offices were very similar to the places, the place I was leaving. And it just seemed like I would probably be in that same situation in maybe a year, five years, 10 years, where I'm like, oh, well, now it's time to move to the next place that's you know, hopefully better. And I think I'll, I just decided to do it. And I think you can't just say the courage of me or, or anybody who does that, but it's the courage of their spouse as well, if they have a spouse, because it's definitely, I mean, it is a, you're in it together. We had two very small kids at the time. We still have them. They're just not small anymore. Uh, they, yeah, I mean, it takes courage for not just one person, but the whole family. And the kids don't really have much say in it, but they, um, yeah, definitely the courage of a spouse is, is necessary and support of a spouse. Financial initially, and then just emotional and because it's kind of crazy right I mean to just go from having a job to not having a job one day yeah on purpose you know yeah. it, it's kind of it's kind of nuts because we didn't I mean I had no clients I'm not I didn't grow up in this area so I didn't have some huge community I could immediately tap mm -hmm. so it um it worked out for sure it's, it's, yeah. it's working out great now but I guess the answer is, how did I have the courage? I mean, I guess it comes down to, I kind of rationalized it. Well, if I fail, I will probably be better for having done it because I will now know what it's like to run a business and the sure. problems that people face. And I'll still have my degree. I could just go get another job, you know? Exactly. So that was kind of what I told myself, but I mean, it wasn't like I was banking on that or anything. Um, and yeah, I haven't. I'm still in the same role. The role is very different, but it's still the same role. Yeah. And your wife works for you or with you at the law firm, right? With me, Harlan. Come with on, you. man. Sorry. I can't say for you. That's going to end. That <laughs> end it all. Yes. She works with you. Yes. She works with me. Yeah. She, when our kids were, we have four kids. And when they were very small, she was at home. And then as they're not very small, she's back and we're together. And she does a lot of the, marketing and kind of getting kind of more business 
strategy planning, like that kind of that kind of thing, where um, you know it's just hard to to do everything with just one person because you gotta practice law or you know coach the people or be the accountant or do the consulting work, and you also have to get new clients, you know, and you gotta you know have a website and make sure that all your employees are getting paid and all that. So it's definitely um, kind of two hats or way more than two. So did she join you in the firm right off the bat or did she work? No, when we first started, it was 2008, right before worldwide economic collapse, part one of my, and part one for my practice, my lifetime, definitely not part one, but um. And she was working or, and she probably worked until it was probably like another, my son, Thomas, so probably another two and a half years. And then she didn't work. And then she started working probably about four or five years ago again. So how many folks do you have in your practice? Employees? Yeah. Yes, we have. Myself, my wife, and two other attorneys. One has been with us a very long time. And then one we just hired. He's actually studying for the bar exam right now. He's not an nice. attorney, but yeah. hopefully he will be one soon. He passes, I'm sure he will. Nice. And then we have two paralegals. Okay. So there's six of us total now. And I hadn't added anyone for, aside from the paralegal, I had not added an attorney been like eight years so it's it's very um new it's great yeah well that takes a little bit of pressure off you guys or is the practice growing is that why you're adding more yes for sure it takes a lot of pressure off us because there's a lot of the the probate administration which we kind of touched on the ones where there is not a huge conflict and you just have to help them do the job of, of he will definitely be able to do that and then kind of ask us questions along the way. But right out of the gates, there's all that, all that work. We get, you know, it, like most people, you kind of run towards put out the fires and, you know, deal with the problematic situations, which there's an endless supply in this business for, for what our clients are going through. So he's going to allow us to provide much better contact and communication with our clients that aren't the most needy folks, you know, which those are actually our best clients, right? I mean, the ones that just do what we say and take our advice and everything goes smoothly. So we're going to provide, he's going to help us provide much better service to those folks. Nice. Um, so on the, on the program, we talk about different types of courage, right? There's intellectual courage, the courage to set aside your long-held beliefs, the knowledge that you have to make room for new knowledge. Uh, there's uh, moral courage, of course, um, empathetic courage, a lot of different types of courage we have to tap into on a, on a daily basis, and especially in the job that you're in. Is there a type of courage you think is most important um, when you're a estate planning attorney and, and probate attorney? I mean, I think when you're dealing with any kind of litigation or any conflict, any situation, not even litigation, that's just my business. So that's why I say 
is the courage to put aside your own ego because people are trying to, whether they realize it or not, trigger you. As my girls always say, that triggers me. My teenage girls, they love that word trigger. It's trigger. So, but people are trying to bait you into having some kind of an emotional reaction or go down some crazy road with them in an argument. And, you know, your ego says, oh, they're trying to get the best of me. I'm smarter than that son of a bitch. But I mean, you can't fall into that. You got it. The courage to put aside your ego allows you to, you can hear better when you do that. And you can certainly think more clearly. Think for, and that, I mean, that's very important when you're representing someone, representing someone else's interests. Because yeah. they're in, it's not my ego is not what's at stake. It's it's the the outcome for this this other individual. Yeah. Well, and you hear people talk about the the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. Same thing goes with the. I would think with with the wills and testaments and everything like that. Can you you can tell what their their intention was? Do you have to stick to the actual written? will or can you i mean there's whole lawsuits about there's a whole cause of act you can have a whole lawsuit if something's vague i mean if it's straightforward yes you got to go with the the letter you know but if it's vague or confusing and it often is yeah there's a whole you have to go to court and you know very expensive and have a judge basically provide his or her opinion. On yeah. it. Nobody wants that. No. That's why get your estate plan clear so that we're not even having this discussion. Exactly. Um, and that helps, I mean, that helps us as estate planning drafters because we know the problematic portions of these things that get, yeah. get people caught up. Well, that's, to me, that's, that's the reason you go to an attorney the language is important. The words that you use are important when you're it's writing the contracts and things. Yeah, it, and to be able to define to where it's not ambiguous. You wanna make sure I that mean, it says exactly what it needs to say. Right, I mean, and the unique piece about this area of law is whenever anyone really starts to scrutinize these things, you're already gonna be dead. So it's not like you can, you know, yeah, what I meant to say. Elon Musk can get on the stand and fight about what he meant when he signed that Twitter agreement, you know, to buy Twitter. That that's a whole testimony and you know his understanding and all this. Um, it doesn't work like that in the state and trust litigation. Yeah, man. So uh, you've got your four, basically four people in your office, a couple of paralegals helping you out and stuff like that. If I was to bump into any of these folks and talk to them about your leadership style, what would they tell me? What kind of leader are you? We should ask them. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I do not micromanage. But at the same time, I do want to provide support, especially to, I mean, Sarah and I have worked together for so long. That was That's the other attorney that um, I don't really, you know, I certainly don't micromanage her, but I mean, she can kind of do, do her thing. But as far as the new attorneys go, I'm trying to give them some guidance because I know what that's like to have no guidance when you're brand new, you know, but I'm not trying to just 
have this person do everything exactly like I would do it. Um, and I try to have a culture where people can make jokes and have some kind of levity and um, not be stressed. It helps reduce stress. I mean, the stuff we're dealing with is very stressful and very extremely sad in, in a lot of different situations that we're dealing with, you know? Yeah. So you need to, you can't take all that on and expect everyone in your office to take all that on because it would be a terrible place to work and you wouldn't be able to keep any employees and I wouldn't be able to come to work at a place like that. So exactly. I'm just trying to create a place where I want to come to work. We've been doing, you know, flexibility from home, family flexibility. We've been doing all that pre-pandemic because, you know, Sarah had had young kids and people have stuff they got to do, you know. It really doesn't, especially now with Zoom. I mean, I we do a lot, come to the office a lot, um, more than a lot of my friends uh, who are running businesses. But that's not because I mandated that everyone has to be there these certain days, you know. Yeah. Um just kind of works out that way. Um, what would you say is one of your strengths as a leader? I mean, I hope it would be to think creatively about situations and then communicate that to, to people that are around me. I don't know if that makes sense. Sure, um, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's the best I can say that. No, that's good. Uh, what about a weakness? What's your weakness as a leader? What am I supposed to say? I, I'm too smart or something? Is that you where you say your weakness <laughs> is like something yeah. that's actually a positive? I'm, too I'm just too dedicated. Yeah, yeah, right. That's a good question. I'm sure there's a whole office full of people that could, could answer that for you. Um, certainly there's a house full of people in my house. I should call those girls up that are um, were little babies when I started the firm. They would have some opinions on it. Yeah. Um, I think that that is what I hope is my strength is probably my weakness too is I want to be able to, I wish I was better at communicating to everyone the big picture of where we're trying to go um, and, you know, how we're trying to, what I would like them to do to help us, you know, get to that place. So it's kind of tied together, but yeah. communication, I, I wish I could communicate. I should be better at communicating. And that's, that, I think that's a lot of people. Communication is huge. It's very important. Um, so what's next for you guys? I mean, you've got a good practice going. You're starting, you're growing a little bit. What's next? Um, offices? You're going to move in other states or anything? No, I mean, there's a lot of opportunity here. I want to keep, I would like to add more people here and build out what we're, not change our practice area, but 
just build out our systems so that we can handle a lot more cases efficiently, whether that's through you know using technology or just standardizing how we approach clients. We're, we're kind of putting all that in place. It's going slowly because we do have to practice law in the in the meantime. That's why having my wife right. help on that portion is good. So I mean that that's the kind of the next, you know, the five year plan, right? That that's what it would be is is just grow the business. You know, I'm not looking to an organic growth too, because I don't. I suppose that if the right opportunity presented itself, I could buy a firm or acquire another practice if some somebody was retiring or something. But um, that's not really something that I've you know got my sights on. I'm open to anything, but that's that's what we're trying we're trying to do. I want to get this thing, this business, more organized, um, with so everybody can know what what's expected of them and where they they fit in the thing. And I got to figure that out first, right? right. Because yep. we're going from kind of very few people that always were we always knew what each other was doing. Now we're kind of at that point now where you don't really know everything that everybody's doing. Right. And each person you add onto it, it becomes less so. Yeah. So. So getting the strategies in place, putting the systems in place. The systems are big because there's, you know, we got a lot of deadlines. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the big thing. Very cool. Well, Andy, this has been awesome. I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to talk to us. If people want to learn more about you up there in the Chicago area, how can they find you? What's your website? Website is Hayes Firm, H-A-Y-S-F-I-R-M.com. We got everything. Um, email me, A Hayes at Hayes Firm. Uh, it's all on there. So uh, they can learn all about us and connect with us. Give us a call if they have any, any issues. Very cool. And uh, all around the Chicago area, all the the suburbs right there is there a, a radius you work in or is it anywhere i mean you know we practice all over the state certainly okay. high 90 percentile of our matters are in chicago and the surrounding suburbs which the surrounding or not surrounding suburbs, surrounding counties okay. which that that right there covers millions and millions of people so yes we will we we, we handle the whole state of illinois very cool all right well i will make sure i have those links in the show notes so everybody knows how to get in touch with you and stuff. Hopefully, hopefully somebody's listening to this and saying, you know what, I haven't looked at my estate plan in quite a while, and I need somebody to review it and improve we'd be, it. We'd be happy to do it. Happy okay. to do it. Very cool. All right. All right, Andy, appreciate your time. Listeners, hope you guys are taking a lot of notes. Definitely uh, check out the website. Um, if you have any questions or anything like that, get in touch with um, Andy Hayes and his team, and they will help you out with that. Thanks, Harlan. Yeah, definitely. And share this episode with your family, friends, and colleagues. And stick around because there's always more coming. That's it for me. Coach Harlan saying so long for now.